Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk's L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on the sharing and gig economy. L. is also the chair of the Marketplace Risk Advisory Board. Please note, this podcast has been prepared for informational purposes and is not legal advice by the Marketplace Risk team or the presenters. The material discussed should not be construed as legal advice or a legal opinion on any specific issue. We urge you to consult a lawyer concerning your own situation and any specific legal questions you may have. Please contact us at info at marketplacerisk.com and we can put you in touch with the appropriate professional. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Al. Hello and welcome back to the Platform Podcast. Today, I am delighted to welcome Nino Cavanecha, who is not only a member of the Marketplace Risk Advisory Board, he was previously at Outdoorsy, which is a well-known marketplace for um, RV or camper vans, and he is now working under the brand name of Customer First and helping early-stage companies to build and scale their operations. Now, Nino, welcome. It's so lovely. We've been meaning to do this for a long time. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, I I don't know if I explained what you did very well there. It was very concise. (laughs) So I really want you to, before we get on to our subject today, which is going to be great for marketplace startup founders, because we're going to be talking about balancing growth with safety and trust and safety in marketplaces. Um, but before we do get onto that, I do want to hear a bit more about what you exactly do with Customer First and how that evolved, what you did at Outdoorsy and, and what your journey, I like to use that word, what your journey has been to this point. Yeah, that make that, yeah, definitely. So um, I've been helping companies uh, sort of through the employee standpoint, how, uh, build and scale their their customer operations for about the past twenty years or so. And um, while I have just loved that journey, to use your word, um, it, and it's been you know very very rewarding. Uh, one of the things that I've just always looked forward to is being able to kind of go out uh, on my own and and create my own consulting practice to be able to help more companies uh, at once and not just focus on one. And and I think that really kind of came from uh, each time that I would join an early stage company, uh, it would sort of remind me as like, you know, when you're watching a movie and you say, you know, you say to yourself, I've seen this storyline before, this <laughs> plot, I, like I, I can almost guess every step of the way what's about to happen. And you start to get really good at it. And, you know, I, I really just wanted to share that with more companies guys, because I, I, I am so immensely passionate about um, uh, businesses trying to invest as early as possible in their life cycle uh, to create tremendous customer experiences and value uh, you know, for their customers. And there's no better time to do it when you're young uh, and immature because you start to create, that's when you're really kind of creating that foundation for the business. So today I, uh, I have a list of clients that I work with, um, uh, all really great and, and sort of different verticals uh, from SaaS to, to marketplaces to sort of direct-to-consumer. Um, and really what I'm doing there is, is a kind of a blend of sort of two different, um, uh, two different services. One is sort of on the strategic guidance advisory, kind of helping them really plan out and, and scale their customer operations or 
build it if they're really that early. Um, and also kind of think through certain projects that that they're kind of working through. So this could really run the gamut from anything from, you know, recruiting, hiring to, you know, capacity planning, workforce management, and um, maybe uh, even, uh, you know, quality assurance, et cetera. Um, but then it sort of also goes on to another uh, service that I provide when I, and I started seeing this really more and more common with my clients where they were exploring new systems or trying to optimize these systems. And obviously the tools that the agents are, are kind of, um, you know, frontline folks are using is so critical to them being successful, uh, not only for, for themselves as an operation, but also for their customers. And so I am a, a uh, certified partner of Zendesk, a partner of Customer, which is another ticketing system, CRM, and then also of Amazon Connects. These are three tremendous systems that I've invested uh, time and experience in and help our my my clients sort of navigate journeys with with those uh, with those systems. That's amazing, and I love what you said there about watching. You know, you feel like it's a film you've watched before because presumably some of these um, are you know entertaining. Some of them might even be um, bordering on um, scary when you see people playing out maybe mistakes um, that could turn into um, it being a bit of a horror film and. I, I'm interested to hear how much the things that you do can sort of, you know, prevent that and turn these um, films, I suppose, if we're sticking with that analogy, into, you know, a blockbuster with a with a great ending rather than something <laughs> terrible. And obviously today we wanted to focus on the, this balance between growth and trust and safety. And it's something that, um, you know, that Jeremy and I speak about a lot at Marketplace Risk, because I think that people worry when they're starting that startup journey um, and wanting to create a story of their own, that they will be holding back from success if they worry too much about things being secure and um, risk-free. How would you counter yeah. that? I mean, as if I'm as if I'm a startup founder saying that to you, but I don't want things to be too safe because how are we going to grow then? Yeah, so you know, I think one way I would start with just the framing of of the you know how I would want or how I would want to help a founder kind of break free of that just from the starting point is just to appreciate that from them going from not a founder, not developing, you know, a product or service for, for customers to now developing this business, um, they definitely were adventurous thinking outside the box, um, you know, create the, sort of creating something that, you know, potentially address a gap in the market. And, and so they're, they're by no means, I would say sort of conformists, uh, you know, at, at, at a base level. Um, but then one thing I see sort of time and time again, um, and I, and I have talked to founders about this and I think, uh, many sort of that are open to this way of thinking really embrace it is, uh, you sort of see this, um, uh, sort of, uh, inclination to follow a comfortable playbook of growth mm -hmm. where it's okay. I, you know, I know that everybody uses a paid acquisition strategy. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to pay a bunch and try to get a bunch of customers as quickly as I can. And this goes into what I said previously about, you know, watching the same story over and over mm. again is that eventually 
there will be, uh, you know, a discussion, usually the board and executive staff about we're spending way too much money acquiring customers. We need to develop more of an organic path. And then there's this race and scurry to start to drive more organic traffic and sort of wean ourselves off of the paid customers acquisition strategy. So, you know, what I look, when I look at that, I, I see that, that, you know, you've got this founder, like I said, that, you know, by all intents and purposes is doing something that's really out of the box and adventurous, but then they go into this playbook that's just so safe. And I would sort of, you know, air quote safe um, because it actually does almost always cause a mess. Mm -hmm. And so I try to help them to say that there are some elements to that playbook that are for sure valuable. Um, but, you know, open your mind to uh, other sort of inputs or elements that you can bolt into that, um, you know, that approach, that it's actually going to be a more healthy, sustainable way to scale. And so that's what I've kind of really tried to use that word a lot, uh, sort of healthy scaling, you know, mm -hmm. it's sort of sustainable scaling, but also kind of just a healthy way to scale that's just more beneficial to the business. And I'd sort of liken sometimes when you get kind of drunk off of that paid customer acquisition that really that that's almost like the equivalent i've used this analogy so many times the equivalent of like in sports like performance enhancing drugs or something like that you become so dependent on this artificial source of growth that it's hard to change and um and so so yeah that's something that i try to kind of just plant the seed mm -hmm. as just at a foundational level to really be open to other elements that can get you into that healthy growth mindset as early as possible. And do you think that some of the most successful marketplaces out there, and obviously you have not only worked for a successful one in the shape of Outdoorsy, but you obviously watch and learn from the ones that are scaling up and, um, you know, reaching the, the unicorn stage, like all of us, you know, we watch from the sidelines. Do you feel that they have followed that um, playbook or do you think the ones that have been successful have done it in a, you know, in a healthy way or what, how do you, you know, because if people are following that playbook, is it because it is safe and, and comfortable at, or because they, um, you know, is, is proven to be successful? What do you think the big players have done? Yeah, so I don't. I don't think they have done that, but I think there is a lot of evidence that shows that they had to make tremendous investments to turn things around and sort of make an about face to do that. So there was a period with Airbnb, and I think you, you, I'm sure you probably remember just as I do. I mean, if you remember the early stories, it was sort of a, a branding nightmare. Um, a, you know, PR nightmare yeah. where you had you know somebody's house in San Francisco. I think it was. It was like mm. you know somebody just ran a party in there and just destroyed the whole home and um and and that wasn't like infrequent. There was like story after story, and they had to uh, make a, a a sort of a big pivot, sort of over the years, to clean up a lot of that damage. And invest heavily in trust and safety. And I would say, you know, over the past five plus years or so, I don't think I've heard a whole lot coming from, uh, you know, issued major, major issues within Airbnb. And even my own personal experiences, I've gone from having 
you know, it felt like sort of uh, I had to, you know, go against the grain just to get something resolved or if there was some kind of, you know, major issue. So now it seems very fluid and, and easy. So I think the story there is that, yes, you can, or so the takeaway is that, yes, you can emulate that, um, but but why why would you? Mm-hmm. If there's another way to save yourself a lot of headache, a lot of grief, a lot of wasted resources, and um, and and I think this is even more pertinent to um, competitors, sort of the, the folks that are that are following, yeah. you know, that er, early entrant, uh, uh, you know, entry in this in this space, right? So if I'm coming in and I know that the business that I'm following has a major head start. I'm going to really need to differentiate and sort of speed my way into an area that customers will, will resonate with. I'm doing something different. And one way that is really easy to differentiate is with providing a tremendous customer experience. It's easier than I think a lot of early stage companies think it is. Really? Um, so do you think that in a way that the big players like, um, you know, obviously we've just been using the example of Airbnb, but we're kind of like the kind of canary in the coal mine for marketplaces in that sense, because that model was new, that peer-to-peer model was new, and they were the ones that had to get it wrong to then get it right. But, uh, you know, they had the advantage of obviously being being first as well. But now, you know, a decade on, we've learned a lot from their mistakes and marketplace founders coming in with a similar maybe home share model or, you know, an RV share model can be looking and they're thinking, well, how am I going to play here? Because you're really, you know, well established. And so what you're saying is that this customer experience could be the thing that really tips the scales for them and, and helps them to to move into the the big league. Absolutely. And and part of what, you know, we're talking about on the show today in terms of like I mean obviously customer experience is a a really broad term and encompasses so much uh, because there's just so many elements or events within that customer's journey um, that you know this this thinking about balancing growth and sort of friction and and really friction I mean, I think there's no easier you know, word to use, mm. but it really has such a taboo and sort of negative connotation in early stage companies. Um, and in general, I mean, it's just even sort of in everyday language, I don't <laughs> think the, the word really has a positive meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you two people are trying to connect and I think there's a lot of friction here. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's never a good thing, but mm-hmm. um, I, I, so I think for sure, uh, for anybody out there that wants to create a new word, I think this 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 strategy could use a new word for sure. Um, but in terms of friction, you know, it it doesn't need to be sort of black white kind of zero sum. Like it's not. It's uh, I, you know, the, with the interactions that I will have for folks that are contributing to growth, and obviously you do it as the whole company. But I think there are certain departments, marketing, product you know, sales, et cetera, that are really kind of focused on that area that, you know, when you talk about friction to them, 
it's you know there's almost like uh, a certain level of anxiety that comes mm-hmm. in and you know you know we can't think about any of that right now we can't you know we have to keep everything very fluid when we're you know we're paying for these customers to come in at the top of the funnel so that funnel needs to be like greased rails and then take them through to conversion as fast as possible and I never disagree with any of that, especially early stage. What I try to explain is that, um, you know, that there, there is a healthy level of friction within certain transactions that really just need to kind of be table stakes. And I think there, it's not only for the safety of the brand and the customer, but also there's a certain sense of security mm. that a customer will feel if you're going through certain elements of friction. So for example, if I'm going to create a bank account uh, and all you're asking for is my email address and my name <laughs> and a link to my PayPal account to transfer funds, like, no, I'm going to no, be heavily <laughs> suspicious, right? So there's a certain, like, it just depends on what the interaction is. And, and, and it's also dependent on like, and how you execute it. But what I tell early stage businesses is you don't have to yet, uh, do a whole bunch of testing or AB testing on applying friction. What I try to coach them on is just start building out your sort of risk scoring model as early as you can start looking at data as early as you can hire a trust and safety person way before you think you need it. Uh, and I actually was just having a a conversation with one of my clients and, you know, they're in a space that has to do with, you know, their, their children involved, uh, in their B2B in their, in their business, um, uh, children and parents. And so that already is a, is a high level of sensitivity. And they don't have a trust and safety person. And they started, he started explaining to me some of this. I mean, obviously as a, as a person with a heavy trust and safety background, what he was explaining to me as some of these issues that they encounter, it just a red light went off for me. And I said, do you not have a trust and safety team? And he said, no, no, you know, we're not really there yet. And I said, no, 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 <laughs> trust me, you're way already there. So the way to look at trust and safety is, you know, you are almost late hiring that first trust and safety person if they have to do more than 24, 5% of their day of reactive work, you actually want that first hire to spend 75% or more of their day thinking ahead and being proactive and preventative, because that is how you really start to actually get ahead of things. And that's what I did at Outdoorsy. But going back to risk scoring, if you get that first hire in and you get them to start to look at data and sort of behaviors and, you know, these elements tend to, with a high level of certainty, equal these type of bad outcomes. And you start to, you know, create and perfect that model with other teams contributing because they see it as important. Then, you know, when you're bringing customers in and you're watching them go through the funnel, you can at least just look at that data behind the scenes and see if we were to shave this percentage of users off or filter these folks out into sort of a dummy flow, what would this impact be on conversion? And what would we potentially save with all this negative impact throughout the organization? You know, the, and the negative impact was sort of bad users coming through. This is obviously, you know, and we can go through this list that I think everybody knows, you know, marketing have to clean up messes, uh, you know, PR, social media, et cetera, um, you know, finance uh, with refunds and chargebacks, 
uh, you know, and account takeovers and on the trust and safety side, customer support with complaints and irate callers. So there's so much impact to the business that if you at least look at the score without even making any changes, at least start developing your scoring as early as you can so that you can figure out the most sort of like Goldilocks way of trying to test that initial element of friction to give you a good return with very little negative impact. So that's really what I try to recommend for folks to do. And when you come across a really early stage startup and, and they either they feel maybe the founders are, you know, maybe um, from a tech or a, a marketing background or just, you know, trust and safety isn't necessarily something they're thinking of first, or maybe in terms of their funding or the investors, something that they're just saying, well, how can we show that this is something where we should be putting our money right now in terms of a hire um, or in terms of focus or technology spend or whatever. How do you, you must come across this point where you're kind of like, you know, almost banging your head up against a wall to show that this is something that's important. Um, I'm guessing. And and what do you do about that? Um, when, yeah. you, you know, when you reach that point where they're just really not listening? That's a, so that's a really good question. And, I would say, and thankfully, because I am getting older now, that uh, the banging on my head happens significantly less. <laughs> I think as you get more experienced, the way you can articulate your argument, it just gets easier and more direct and you know, you sort of have a better outcome. So uh, I would say the Nino of the first five, 10 years of my career, yeah, a lot of banging my head on the wall. Then I would say the latter half of my career, significantly less. So I think the most relevant and recent, or I should say most recent example is with Outdoorsy. So when I came onto Outdoorsy as their VP of customer operations, I was initially charged with building out their claims and support teams. And so trust and safety wasn't really even part of the discussion. Um, and as I started to digging in, to dig into the business as someone who's been in many marketplaces before, it just was crystal clear to me that uh, not only was there some reactive kind of work that needed to be addressed from a trust and safety angle, but it wasn't a terrible, terribly huge amount. And there was such a great opportunity to be really proactive. And, and so I essentially made the pitch to the CEO, uh, who's my boss, and I kind of walked him through where we are at with things in terms of the reactive work on the trust and safety side, you know, some of the simple stuff like chargebacks and, and, you know, user complaints or disputes and things like that. Um, and showing him that it wasn't, that it was growing slowly, but that it, there wasn't anybody skilled in the company to really address that properly. And then I also provided information on, you know, sort of painting a picture on what it would look like if you got somebody in to actually address that where they could actually start to, you could start to see sort of a, a reduction in that, those amount of issues kind of at scale. And then also what this person can do from a preventative standpoint, all the opportunities that no one else is thinking about in the company, that if we put some resources on that, this person could really be taking a charge there. And no surprise, um, but you know, he absolutely was supportive about it and said, okay, you're going to also build the trust and safety team. And so that's what I did. Um, so yeah, they, the argument is a lot easier now. 
um, especially with a nice solid five to seven slide deck yeah. <laughs> and just kind of walking through and it, and you know, and I think for all of us in the trust and safety field, you know, you, you can really go, uh, aggressive on the disaster scenarios that you paint. <laughs> um, right. So like, you know, when in the support world, sometimes the sky, you know, there, there can be sort of the sky is falling mentality because the customer is really upset that the, you know, their vehicle broke down and, 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 you know, they're having a terrible trip. Yeah, that's really bad. But when you paint a sky is falling scenario, interest and safety, it can be sort of gut wrenching. Um, oh, so <laughs> it did, it didn't, it didn't take a lot for me to sort of many pictures to, or, you know, kind of portray of why we really want to get ahead of this. Um, so we did, and, and we were all thankful uh, that we did. You touched on something really interesting, which will be a great way to sum up, um, because we've been talking about this balance. And I thought it was really interesting when you said earlier that there's a sort of comfort level for, for people in, in this um, world of friction. And obviously, for anyone listening who isn't sort of familiar with that term, what we're talking about here is, is I suppose, the I don't know if you use this expression in the US, but jumping through hoops to get to something. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, so maybe if you are paying for something or registering for something, how many things you need to sort of prove or fill in, I suppose, mm -hmm. um, screens you have to, to go through before you, you can get to the point you want to get to. And I think what you said was very interesting because if things are too easy, then there's the same discomfort level um, as right. there is if, if you having to do too much to prove something, you know, you're being texted and emailed and phoned an authentication code and this is happening and you're really just losing, um, you know, the will to proceed with that. Whereas, as you say, if you could set up a bank account with just your um, email address and your PayPal, you're thinking, ooh, um, no, I'm, I'm not comfortable with that. Is there a sort of graph or is there research or, you know, where is the sweet spot on that? Because it must be about really about human nature. Does it depend on the, the type of person? Because presumably, again, people are, are more risk averse than others. How do you find that point um, in someone's yeah. comfort level? It's really interesting. Yeah, so that's that's tough. And that goes back to the, the risk scoring approach that I take that um, sort of ironically that risk scoring approach reduces the risk or the impact negative any negative impact on conversion because you're just looking at the score behind the scenes but in terms of like how you how you try to find that sweet spot i would say it's really it's a lot easier in industries or sort of customer experiences that um exist today and we're all familiar with so for example um a a sort of friction within the flow for let's say a direct to consumer e-commerce startup um you know single segment not like a marketplace e-commerce that's that's tried and true um and that's kind of vanilla like you know there is already a playbook there that that you know most vendors you use or or you know trust and safety folks you potentially bring on um there's there's kind of tried and true approaches there whereas something like rv rental marketplaces or even a job that i held before that which was a doctor and a man i was their vp of operations and i created a virtual uh 
a virtual operation. Sorry, I, it was a entirely remote operation to support a virtual medical practice. And there's no playbook for things like that. There, that I, you know, that at that time, healthcare was very, very, very against anything remote. And so, for me to figure out how do I create all these satellite functions around the doctor's visit. And my team encompassed billing, coding, customer support, technical support, clinical support, nurses, pharmacists, et cetera, all remote and supporting this practice. No, no playbook there. So similarly at Outdoorsy, um, no, no playbook there as well. And when you, and when you do, when you, when you don't have sort of a, like, you know, a, a access to a lot of resources online to give you sort of tips on like, how would you approach it for this type of, you know, vertical or whatever, then that's where I say you take this, invest in your scoring or your kind of, you know, your risk assessment of these customers early on, look at certain attributes that you want to place in this scoring um, as sort of your balanced scorecard, if you will, that you just watch behind the scenes and you're going to take some hits probably in the beginning. And this is sort of what you're making as, or, you know, you're, you're, you're accepting as a trade-off that if you don't want to touch conversion or impact it, which is super understandable if you're just trying to grow, but make sure to develop and perfect your risk assessment or risk scoring model behind the scenes so that you can find out where your sweet spot is. You can sort of play like you can simulate, you know, if we apply this score at this threshold and blocked these users who accounted for this percentage of our chargebacks, you know, it would have infected our conversion by this much, but had all these other positive impacts. Great. That is, you know, the threshold mm -hmm. we want to set then. That's, so that's amazing. What I, I, like. I mean, I can see why, you know, people, people, you know, want your, um, your consultancy and your help, you know, because the experience that you've racked up over the years, um, is invaluable, I think for, um, for marketplaces, um, particularly. And I, I'm hoping that you will come on the the podcast again because I think we, we planned to talk another time, um, really about sort of creating, thriving marketplace communities which is another area of your expertise yeah that's if, a fun one in the meantime if anyone um listening wants to get in touch with nino he is actually on the resources page of the marketplace risk website as well as on the advisory board page so do give him a shout and tap into that amazing knowledge of his and thank you nino again for coming on it feels like the half hour is raced by so um i was really interested in what you're saying so do do come on again Will do. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk. Tune in next week for another podcast.